<clears throat> Amen. So we are in Revelation chapter 18. I heard about a wealthy and materialistic man who was uh, on death's doorstep. And so before he died, he was determined to take his money with him when he died. He asked his wife to gather up all of his money and his possessions and to put them in a bag and to hang that bag in the attic rafters so that when he perished, he could snatch it on his way up to heaven and take it with him. And so, uh, you know, death ran its course. The man passed away and died. And the wife ran upstairs into the attic to see if the bag was gone. Sure enough, it was still there. And she said, I knew I should have put it in the basement. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> in Revelation, the last day's global government of the Antichrist is called Babylon. Uh, we've been learning this throughout the last number of chapters, especially in chapter 17, where we see that this, um, this government actually has a religious aspect to it. And in chapter 17, we saw the religious part of Babylon, great Babylon. Uh, we saw it come to nothing. Uh, in chapter 17, that city is called a great city, uh, but it's likened to a harlot who is riding a beast. And we know that the beast in the book of Revelation is the Antichrist. And while it seems like the harlot is controlling the beast while writing it, it's actually the beast that's controlling the harlot. And that beast is going to turn and devour that religious system midway through the tribulation uh, because the beast wants to be the religious system. And so the great religious system will be destroyed and it will lead to this uh, giant economic global power with the Antichrist at the head. And uh, in chapter 18, we see the fall of that part of this uh, government and um, and it's a uh, it's a it's a good thing in the scripture, though it's very sobering, and it's um, something that causes us to want to run away from such a destruction. Babylon is the name of this city. It's not a new name for us. If you've read the Bible, if you're going through the Bible reading plan, Babylon is a city that was mentioned clear back in Genesis chapter ten, Genesis chapter eleven. With King Nimrod as its leader, they tried to build a tower to heaven so that they might be like God, so that they could essentially make their way to heaven and be in control and make a name for themselves, Genesis chapter 11, verse 4 says. And really from that religious idolatry of Genesis 11 uh, just flows to every other nation since then who has been involved in abominable religious and idolatrous practices. We are going to see in chapter 19 the fall of this system, and uh, the main idea of our chapter today is that as God destroys the sin and the wickedness that marks this world and the world to come, those who've loved this world will experience bitter disappointment and divine judgment. And so just as Egypt is often referred to as the world and something were to come out just as Israel came out of Egypt, Babylon is a picture of the world and something that even today in 2020 Primeville is something that we can run away from uh, as well as we run into Jesus, into the future and hope we have in him. We're going to read of a lot of crying in chapter 18. We're going to read of a lot of weeping in chapter 18. And I want to ask you, tough Prineville people, what makes you cry? 
What makes you weep? Uh, it might be surprising to you, but I'm a bit of a crybaby. You've probably never seen it before. <clears throat> we have a joke in our family that the Rogers are like living tear ducts. You know, we just seem to constantly have tears pouring down our cheeks. And, and uh, just uh, about two weeks ago, uh, we have this little furry puppy, some sort of terrier thing, wiener dog, although you can't really tell much of the, of the wiener dog in him, but, uh, and you know, uh, tough farm guy that I am, I'm often like, you know, hey, you know, you have to take him out for a walk on the other side of the mountain, you know, or whatever, you know, and, and uh, he ended up um, breaking his back a couple weeks ago and being paralyzed in his uh, rear end on his, on his second half, and as we were trying to figure out what was wrong and all the research that we were doing, we were like, man, it's like he's broke his back and this is it. This is done, you know, and uh, we were getting ready to put him down. I mean, we were minutes away from putting him down and uh, and all the kids are crying and I'm cr- I just I'm watching the kids and I just, you know, I'm like, I love you, Bruiser, you know, and and uh, thankfully our veterinarian doctor here at the church, Michelle, called us and said, give him a chance at life, would you? So he's still around, and he's doing better. I'm not, cr- I'm not crying as much anymore, you know. Uh, he's doing all right. He's walking on his back feet, and, you know, it's painful. But uh, it's, it's <laughs> our neighbor Deb here, she was moving into her house when we hadn't met her yet, and she rings the doorbell, and she's holding Bruiser because he'd run inside her house to greet her and, and say hello. So, um but, you know, it's been said that what you weep for is typically something you love. You know, there's some sort of affection there. And we are going to see the kings and the merchants of the earth weeping over this economic system that has collapsed and crumbled and brought great destruction with it. All uh, one, one commentary titled this chapter, A Funeral Song for a Prostitute. This prostitute was using others just as they were using her. There was mutual extortion happening. And as she gave, uh, as she gave them uh, great wealth and prosperity, jewels and riches and luxury, in just a moment in chapter 18, it's all going to be taken away. It's going to be too late. And the kings and the people and the merchants are going to see this worldly system of desires and idols, that it was just simply a deceptive mirage that is now fading away and vanishing away. Sin is deceptive and it is destructive. And we were going to, we will see this full force in the chapter. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Chapter one, John the Revelator says, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority And the earth was illuminated with his glory. So one of many angels in the book of Revelation, this is a great angel with great jurisdiction, power, and supernatural power, perhaps an archangel, maybe even Michael, but uh, there's this illumination, this shining upon him as he has spent time in the presence of God. There is splendor and brightness in his amazing might, as he's around the one whose glory shines about the whole earth. And so this mega angel comes out. In verse 2, he cries 
with a mighty loud voice, megaphone, or megaphone in a sense, this loud voice. And what is his message? That Babylon the Great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. It's interesting that the the angel shouts or he screams and cries out with a loud voice. There's a shout here. And and, uh, I was recently watching, you know, uh, the Toby Mac video where uh, he's wrote a song about his 21-year-old son who just passed away. And and there's something about a man who's in agony and there's a man and a man hurting or a man who's giving out one of these shouts in in the bridge of his song. He's just shouting out, and you can just see he's just a broken guy in this music video as he's shouting out and just crying with with intensity. There's something about when a man comes to a place where he is just shouting in agony or shouting in intensity, and this angel is, is bringing full force this great shout of power about one of the biggest events in world history to ever have taken place. And that is that the world's system and end times headed up by the Antichrist, it has fallen. Babylon means gate of the gods. And that gate of the gods has fallen down. And notice that that word fallen is repeated with either an echo or with double emphasis there. This happens almost every time it's mentioned of Babylon. In Revelation 14.8, another angel follows the first saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And so there was a prophetic picture of her being fallen. And even though for us this is a future event, a future event of this system this economy, this government falling, it's mentioned in the past tense because it is so certain. The world and her system and the devil and his plans to overtake the Almighty God and and accomplish his purposes, it's already fallen. Lindsay and I have kind of a fun thing that we do as we're watching TV and we're watching someone uh, that you're predicting is just about to die you're like, oh no, like you just see the writing on the wall. This, this guy is about to die somehow, you know, and we just say to each other, he dead, <laughs> you know, he dead, you know, it, it hasn't even happened yet. You don't even really know, but you're like, oh, they're setting this up to where you're starting to like this guy and like, oh, he's not going to be around for long. There's no way you can keep, you know, he dead, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's what we're saying futuristically about Babylon. She dead. All right. Doesn't have a whole lot of hope left. And and something that's going to happen in this death or this fall is that this city is going to become a prison. A prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. So it's going to be watched over and guarded and haunted by the defiled and by the impure. One man said, this will make Alfred Hitchcock's screen version of The Birds look like a documentary about lovebirds in comparison. It's an interesting uh, statement, isn't it? That that this demonic, satanic city, it's going to fall, and it's just going to be a dwelling place for demonic and dark things. 
Uh, I was a high school pastor putting on an, a camp for Calvary's in the state of Oregon, um, high school kids over at Lake Bradley in Bandon. And there's this beautiful amphitheater with a lake behind it. And I was teaching about 200 high school kids, the book of Revelation. I'm in chapter 18 and I'm teaching this passage. And I say it out that uh, Babylon has fallen and has become a dwelling place or a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And as I said that, a bird flew over and pooped on my head. <laughs> like in front of 200 people, just, just, you know, and uh, you'll get yours, you know. <clears throat> the devil's a crafty one. Babylon has become a desolate, demonic wasteland, completely void of the image of God life. Becoming a dwelling place for demons is a suitable judgment for a power that was once mobilized by demons. Verse 3 tells us, For all of the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so we recall this from last week's image of Babylon, the woman who rides the beast of the Antichrist, that the nations, the kings, the common folks, that they are those who uh, have drunk the wine of the goblet of her hand, the blood of martyrs, the fornication, the idolatry, the adultery of our hearts, this system of paganism, um, people, women, men, children, kings, merchants we see today, they've all drank the punch. They've all bought in to the lies of the enemy. And Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 7 says that Babylon was the golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed wail for her. We'll see that today in chapter 18, people wailing for her. Take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. In Isaiah 13, 19, Babylon, the glory of the kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. And if you know Babylon, that's what has happened. Over in the Middle East, in Iraq, uh, Saddam Hussein's dream was to rebuild Babylon as it's become just this. It's become this fallen city that we read of here. It's a type and a picture of that Babylon which is to come. Isaiah 13, 21 goes on to say, But wild beasts of the desert will be there, and their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there, and wild goats will cape there. The hyenas will howl in the citadels, the jackals in their pleasant places. Her time is near to come, and her days will not be prolonged. Jump a chapter to Isaiah 14. For I will rise up against them, says the Lord of hosts, and cut off from Babylon the name and the remnant, the offspring and posterity, says the Lord. I'll also make it a possession for porcupines and marshes of muddy water, 
I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, says the Lord. And so uh, past Babylon from historical sense uh, went through a similar ruin as future Babylon where she'll be good for nothing but, uh, you know, a place for hyenas and coyotes and ostriches, I guess. You know, I'm not quite sure. That's a real bad thing. Their eggs are really good, I hear. But uh, you'll, you'll be able to have an omelet there if you find yourself in Babylon. But, but these kings and these nations, the people, they've drunk her poison, they've drunk her wine, they've partaken of her immorality in a spiritual and in a physical sense. Part of this uh, reason for the fall, it's at the end of verse 3, even the merchants, this is a new character set that we study. Last week we read about the common folk, we read about the kings. The common folk and the kings are repeated here, and now we've got this third character of the merchants of the earth who became rich. They've capitalized on her corruption. And luxury here, it's the uh, Greek word strenuous, and it speaks of sensuality, sensuous living, insolent luxury. So luxury, it's more than just, you know, uh, being taking a ride in a limousine, you know, or something like that. You know, we're talking about sensuous, immoral lifestyle that this world provides for its people to partake of. It's an affront to God. It's sin against God. And the great woman, the great harlot of Babylon, she provided this sensuality through religion, a false religion, and she's going to provide it through even temporary wealth, uh, wealth of all sorts, good business, capitalism, uh, the, the kings and the uh, merchants are all going to benefit from it. And verse four says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Interesting here that this voice that comes from heaven calls anyone who remains at this point my people, takes ownership of them as his people. And in my studying, I just uh, I, I read this and I said, you know what, this has got to be the voice of the Lord from heaven. Occasionally in the book of Revelation, you see him kind of speak up from the throne room of heaven. You see him speak up over the events that are taking place. And uh, something that's a clue to that for me is whoever is speaking here really takes possession of people and says, guys, you got to come out of her. There's love behind that. There's care for that. And while it's speaking in a futuristic sense towards whoever might remain in Babylon in these final days of, of the earth, um, it's, it's a message to us today as well. My people, don't get sucked into the cares of this world. My people, don't be deceived. Don't sip of religious ecumenicalism that says any way is a fine way to get to heaven. doesn't matter if it's Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, whatever. No, there's one way. I am the way, Jesus says. I am the truth. I am the life. Peter says, nor is there salvation found in any other but by the name of Jesus Man must be saved. There's no one else. There's no other way. Don't buy into the false religious system that's even in our nation today. 
even in our world today. And don't buy into the luxury and the sensuality that the world would offer today that's pleasurable, but just temporarily pleasurable. Just for a little season, is it pleasurable? As you're being tempted to go into just the the cares of this world and the pleasures of this world and even get rich according to the ways of this world, that's just a temporary, temporary thing. Don't buy into it. Come out of her. There's a warning from the Lord today through John the Revelator. Come out. Don't go there. Come out of her, my people. Hear the Lord's care for you that he's calling you his own. You're mine. You're not theirs. You're mine. I'm going to fight for you. I want you. Come out of her, my people. Because if you share in her sins, you are going to share in her punishment as well. You share in her sins, you're going to reap of her plagues. And when we read uh, Genesis chapter 19, just as... Just a little bit ago, we read out of Isaiah who said that this fall of Babylon will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. It will bring to remembrance Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis chapter 19, these angels come to Sodom to where Abraham's nephew Lot is to rescue Lot before they destroy the city for its wickedness. And the men, these angels, say to Lot, have you anyone else here in the house with you? Son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in this city, take them out of this place. And I think between Babylon's warning, Sodom's warning, here we are in the middle in Prineville in 2020, like, do you have anyone else in your house that you're responsible for, men? Get away from this world's systems. Get away from the distractions of this world. Get away from the things that are sucking you into sin and bondage and just the deceit of the enemy. Do you have anyone around you? I don't know if it's your son-in-law, your daughter-in-law, whoever's represented under the umbrella of your home, get out of here. Get out of the world. Get out of Egypt. Get out of Babylon. Get out of Sodom. Take them out of this place, Genesis 19, 13, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord sent us to destroy it. And we know from the story that as Lot got his family and ran away, they were mocking him. His, his uh, sons thought he was kidding. Like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of Sodom. And they laughed at him. They thought, Dad, you're joking, right? He's just like, we got to get out of here. And as they're running out, you know that Lot's wife turned and looked back at the city that she had be- begun to love, that she had grown to love. She thought of all of the pleasure there. She thought of all the luxury there, the sensual living that was happening there. Her heart pinged that she's going to miss that. And she turned back and she became, in a biblical story, like incredibly truth. You go over there, there's a lot of pillars of salt in this very area. <laughs> but there's one that's Lot's wife because she became a pillar of salt, Genesis 19 26. His wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. Jesus says in Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. The world had grown on her. She'd become numb to the things of the world. She wasn't as convicted as she used to be when, when seeing and hearing and 
the senses of the world used to revile against those things. But she became numb to the things of the world and she began to partake of the things of the world. Remember Lot's wife. And it cost her her life. It's the same with the people of Korah in number 16 as Korah leads a rebellion of mighty men against Moses and against Moses' leadership. And when the Lord went to judge Korah and his family for their rebellion, Moses spoke to the congregation saying, depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Don't touch anything of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins so they got away from the around the tents of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. These were also guys that uh, led a rebellion with him. And Abiram and Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents and their wives, their sons and their little children. So here's three men who didn't get away from where the judgment was going to happen. And they're standing where it's going to happen with their little ones, with their possessions. And number 1631 says, and it came to pass as he finished speaking these words that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men with Korah and all their goods. So they and all those with them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who was around them fled at their cry for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. So we have almost a fall of Babylon happening among the people of Israel there with these wicked men, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and their whole families perish because of their sin. So there's a warning for us in Scripture to get out and get out of the way when there is a promise of judgment against sin. And there certainly is against the system of the world that even we dwell among today. Moving back in our chapter, uh, Revelation 18, verse 5. For her sins, this is Babylon, so get, remember, just get out, come out from among her, my people. Lest you share in her punishment, for her sins have reached to heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities. Perhaps this is a play on Babylon's rebellion against God and trying to build a city that reached to the heavens because this Babylon's sins and iniquities reach to the heavens. That word reach here speaks of glue and it means to cling to. And you know what? That's what our sin does to us. It glues itself to us like super glue. It clings itself to us. We can't get it off by any other means but the work of the gospel, the work of Jesus, what he has done to cleanse us and to wash us and to make us new again. The language literally means that your sins have been heaped up against you. Revelation 16, 19 tells us that second half of the verse that Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. You see that in the scripture. You see that with David as he's on his deathbed and he tells his son Solomon to watch out. You know, there were some guys that did me wrong while I was here and I, I overlooked that and I was gracious to them. But I'm telling you, Solomon, they're going to come after you when I'm dead. You need to get in front of that and you need to stop it before it makes its way to you. I remember what they did to me. In the same way, the Lord remembers these wicked people and systems of Babylon 
and what they've done. And he says, I remember them so that I can give them what's coming their way. My wrath. God remembers sin. Our sin clings to us. It's been said that there's no statute of limitation for our sin. You might have sinned 20 years ago. And just as the years keep going by, you're just like, oh, it's just, it's good that there's some space there that's coming my way. And, uh, you know, it's good that I can kind of, maybe the Lord will forget. Maybe it's kind of been swept up. Good reminder for all of us to silence our phones. I think mine sometimes goes off too. Don't worry about it. But, you know, sometimes we think, oh, the Lord, he'll forget. And the Lord doesn't forget. The Lord remembers our sins, except in Jesus. In Jesus, as the psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions. Part of the new covenant in Jesus is that your sins and your lawless deeds I will remember no more. So what are you hoping for in the washing away of your sins? I remember going to Hungary uh, years ago. I was in high school, and I went on a mission trip to Hungary. And the pastor of the church in Budapest, uh, his brother-in-law was a filmmaker, and he created this short film about a man who uh, sins, and, and he gets ink on a white T-shirt as he sins. And there's just this ink, you know, and, and he just tries everything he can to get the get the stain out and to get the ink splotch out and the more he tries to do it just gets worse and worse and just begins to spread and in the story of course as he comes to jesus uh he ends up at the end with a a nice shiny white shirt as the lord says come let us reason together in the book of isaiah though your sins would be like scarlet i'll make them as white as snow Though you come even to calvary today and your sins might be clinging to you and you just can't get it off that's all right Come to Jesus. He will wash it. He will make you new. But the time for healing in Babylon is past, and the time for fleeing is come. Jeremiah 51.9 said, We would have healed Babylon, but she's not healed. She wouldn't repent, so forsake her. Going on in our text, verse 6 in our chapter, Render to her just as she rendered to you, And repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mix double for her. And so there's payback coming on the day of wrath. There's repayment. There's a return on investment. Babylon has invested in warring against God. And God will pay that back with vengeance in his own way. He will repay double. And in the Greek it's diplu diplas which literally means double, double, all right? There's some judgment coming down on the wicked world. Psalm 137, 8 says, O daughters of Babylon, who are to be destroyed? Happy the one who repays you as you have served us. You know, God is such a gracious God. God is such a merciful God. And for thousands of years, he has poured himself out in mercy and compassion in hope, in life, in love. But he's not only merciful and gracious and loving, he is also just. And in his justice, he must punish sin and punish sinners. And so we are in an age of grace right now. We are in an age where God is even today beckoning sinners to repent and to be washed clean and to be forgiven and restored. 
But there will come a day when it is no longer the time of grace. It is the time of double, double judgment upon sin. Mix it double, the text says, which is an Old Testament idiom indicating a punishment in full measure. Look in verse 7 of our text. In the measure that she, Babylon, glorified herself and lived luxuriously or sensually, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. And so while the previous verse said double it, here we see, you know what, he's just, and so we don't need to worry about too much. Oh, that Lord, that was too much. All throughout the book, we see that he's righteous in his judgments. And here we see, you know what, in the same level that she sinned in her sensuality, there's going to be judgment to that same level. The level that she glorified herself, the word says in verse 7, just as Satan glorified himself and rose up against the Father in pride, just as Babylon glorified herself and built a tower to heaven that she might make a name for herself, so too in Revelation, Babylon glorifies herself, lifted herself up, said in her own heart, I'm like a queen here. I'm not like a widow or someone who's needy. No, I'm a queen. I would never see sorrow. I'm living in the lap of luxury. It's the same language that's used when speaking of the king of Tyre or the prince of Tyre back in the days of Ezekiel the prophet. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, that's north of Israel in the Damascus, Syria region, Tyre and Sidon, Thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I'm a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you're a man. You're not God. Though you set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, you're wiser than Daniel. There's no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and your understanding, you've gained riches for yourself and gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you've increased your riches and you've set your heart as the heart of a God. Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations. They will draw their sword against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God? But you shall be a man and not a God in the hand of him who slays you. Man, the Lord resists the proud. The Lord judges the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. To Babylon who says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow. I will not see sorrow. She will get righteous retribution for her self-glorification, sensuous luxury, prideful arrogance. It's the very opposite of humble dependence on the Lord. Sacrificial love to one another. Look at verse 8. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And so we're going to see this phrase, one day, throughout the rest of the chapter, something like three or four times. This one day speaks of the swiftness of the judgment against this giant world system. It's going to happen so fast. And the world will mourn Babylon's fall. Look at verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her. So sensuality, idolatry, all of that. 
Uh, They will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And so the kings lament. They lament because they committed spiritual fornication with her. They lived luxuriously with her in sensuality. And yet, as much as they loved her, they stood at a distance because they didn't want to partake in the torment. I mean, they're, they're no rescuers of their lover. They say, oh, man, that does not look good. I'm just going to stay back over here while that all happens. Jay Leno points out that the word politics comes from a combination of two words. Poly, which means many, and ticks, which means bloodsuckers, okay? And here the kings and the politicians of the world, they've, they've leached onto Babylon, they've sucked from her, they have lived in the lap of luxury, and yet now, when it comes to an end, they distance themselves because they were only in it for their own gain from the beginning. In just one while, in just a moment, she falls. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth, will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. So they cry, and they're sad, and they grieve, because no one will be purchasing their merchandise, or their cargo, or their freight. And now the cargo will be listed out. But for the merchants, it's more than they can bear. They mourn the loss of Babylon, but mostly they mourn their own loss. In the end, it was all about themselves. She might have been their lover, but she was never truly loved. As New York, London, Hong Kong, Tokyo, Beijing, all of the stock markets of the world crash, tank, and bottom out. All of the malls are closed. All of the Bimarts in our language. It's like, Bimart? What are we going to do, you know? Where are we going to buy my wife's Christmas present? Okay. So here's the list of things that they bought at Bymart. Verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citrus. I know as we read this, you're kind of like, ooh, la la, ooh, pearls, citron wood. You know, it's like, okay, this is not good, okay? This is something you don't want to want right now. So just simmer down, okay? 29 things listed here. Every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon, and incense, fragrant oil, and frankincense, wine, and oil, fine flour, and wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and bodies, and souls of men. Regarding this last category, Mounts notes that it was estimated there were as many as 60 million slaves during the course of the Roman rule, the Roman Empire. Slavery back then, you know, it probably wasn't so shocking for John to write that, but for us, we live in this progressive era, and to see that slavery is going to come back among a government, among the biggest government of the whole world, the government that everyone on the earth is going to buy into, they're going to be a part of this global slave trade. 
And so it just shows no matter how just and diverse and tolerant the world wants us to believe they are as they're progressing, ultimately they are going to show that every one of us, apart from Jesus, with a bumper sticker that might say progressive or not, we at the end of the day are wicked men and women, slave traders, human traffickers, bartering human lives for merchandise. Verse 14, the fruit of your soul longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you. It's been lost to you. You will not find them no more at all. And we're going to have these double negatives as we wrap up the chapter here. We're going to see a lot of this like, you'll, you'll find it no more. And we as sinners, we're typically like, ah, oh, it's just a little hyperbole there. Like, of course, you know, we're still going to be able to like have our, have our little dainties, you know, have our little pleasures, have a, like, no, you need to listen to the repetition here. All that you've been like leeching from the world and all of its pleasures and sin and sensuality, it will be gone gone forever, never to be found again at all. At best, the things that you love apart from Jesus are temporary. Only what we have in Christ Jesus will last. They just don't deliver like they promise. Verse 15, the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. So the kings were standing back weeping and grieving. Now the merchants stand back weeping and grieving. Verse 17, for in one hour, what did I skip verse 16? They said, alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, all that wealth and appearance of success, all that. In one hour, verse 17, one moment, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many trade on the sea stood at a distance. The merchants, the merchant marines, they all were grieving at the end of this. And you think of like how long it took for World War I, World War II, for these global empires to crash. It was years of battle and conflict and fighting. And here, one of the biggest world empires the world has ever seen, it's the great re- revived Roman Empire of Daniel chapter 2, this empire collapses in, an, in a moment, in an hour, because God is the one fighting against it. Chapter 17 says he's the king of kings, lord of lords. They just can't stand against him. And so the merchants cry out, verse 18, when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? In Revelation 13, 4, they said, who is like the beast? Who is like the Antichrist? He's fantastic. He says just what we want us to hear. He gives us everything that we want promised to us. Who is like this guy? He even appeared to have some sort of mortal wound, and he's come back from the dead. This guy's amazing. Who is like him? And the city that he built. What is like this great city? Verse 19 Then they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one 
hour, she was made desolate. You think of our stock market crash and just how like one day, bing, 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 you know, and boom. You know, the, the 20s just became the depression. And all of our grandparents and parents that went through that time, it was just in a day that it hit. And in one day, in one hour, three times in this chapter, one hour, there's the collapse, there's the crushing. It's made desolate. It comes to nothing. It's laid waste. David Platt says, if you love this world, it will pass away and it will take you with it. You will not only lose true pleasure, but you will lose your life. You will perish with this world. But verse 20, there's, there's some good that's for us. We, we need to realize that we get to rejoice over her. Oh, heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Rejoice, because this is what we've been longing for. This is true justice. All the, all the martyrs that have, have died since the early prophets to this day, some of the greatest numbers of martyrs are just within uh, the last century, we see. And we can rejoice because those responsible for martyrdom uh, they are judged and vengeance has been made. Romans chapter 12 verse 19 says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. There will be a day of vengeance. And we can trust in the Lord. Just as in Revelation chapter 5 John saw the souls of those who'd been martyred under the altar, and they're saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge our blood on the earth? And the Lord says, hey, it's going to take a little time. Don't worry, it's going to come, but you just rest under there. And here we see that vengeance taking place. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. You got to love the illustrations that the Lord gives us sometimes. Just all of a sudden over here in Revelation, there's just this beast of an, you know, I shouldn't say beast because that's bad in Revelation, but I mean like, right, you know, and he's got this giant millstone. He just chucks it into the earth and it was a picture. It's a symbol of what just took place Babylon. She's disappearing into the sea in a sense. And it goes on to say, verse 22, the sound of harpists, and we can have the worship teams come back up right now. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. So no common sounds of healthy life and prosperity and gladness will be heard in this place that's become a dwelling place for demons and a cage for every unclean bird. Verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of a bridegroom and a bride shall not be heard in you anymore. Just as Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse that as it was in the days of Noah, where they were marrying and given in marriage, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. So there's this, there's this celebration with no thought regarding the paganism that's going on around us. Uh, that was the case for Babylon 
uh, but no longer. goes on at the end of verse 23 to say, For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Jeremiah wrapping up here with 5149. As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon the slain of all the earth shall fall. And here in 24 of Revelation 18, because she was such a slayer, Babylon herself will be slayed. And 